Hello, and welcome to Missing an Audience. In each episode, a different guest from the arts world will talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected their practice, how they see things changing going forwards, and about their memories of being part of or creating for audiences. Our aim with this podcast is to hear from and reach as many different people working or studying in the arts as possible, to connect over what we miss and have lost, what we have to look forward to, and what needs to change. We also hope to spread awareness of charities or arts groups struggling at this time. We need the arts, and we need audiences. Culture is for entertainment, protest, education, therapy, employment, inspiration and connection. It must survive. This episode was recorded before the government's announcement of a £1.57 billion funding package to support the arts industry or the publication of guidance for working safely in the performing arts. While we welcome this news, the fight to save artists, workers and venues continues and we wait to see how this story will unfold over the coming weeks. This episode contains brief strong language and passing references to themes that some listeners may find upsetting. Today's guest is Jess Green. Jess is an award-winning performance poet and scriptwriter. She has performed at Glastonbury, Latitude and Bestival and written two shows, both published by Burning Eye Books, Burning Books and a self-help guide to being in love with Jeremy Corbyn, both of which received five stars at the Edinburgh Fringe and on their national tours. The 2018 tour of Burning Books included a performance at the NUT National Conference. Jess is a BBC Slam champion and part of the BBC Writers Academy 2019, where she is writing for EastEnders, Holby City and Casualty. Hello, I'm Jake Leonard, the creator and host of this podcast, and I'm a freelance theatre director. So, hi Jess, how are you? I'm not bad, thank you. Jake, how are you? Yeah, you know, just plodding along. <laughs> it's weird how that question now like people actually mean it they're like how are you and actually when you say to people yeah like, yeah fine how are you they kind of look at you like yeah you're not fine no are you yeah. no one is fine are they no one's like yeah I'm having a great lockdown no. apart from my husband my husband's having a fantastic lockdown oh good well at least one person is <laughs> he's gonna... uh, on summer holiday from university so he is just like playing music and playing computer games and reading and drinking beer and just living his best lockdown life. So <laughs> we should all try to be more like him. Yeah. When lockdown happened, I was in... So I'm kind of in quite a good position in the sense that over the past year, a lot of my writing has um, moved over to television rather than theatre and poetry. I'm still doing theatre and poetry, but most of my living this year was from writing for television. Um, and the slightly stressful thing was that, um, so this year I was writing Freestanders and Holby and Casualty, and when lockdown happened, obviously all of those um, shows were put on pause, so my contract with the BBC was suspended for three months, and that gets picked up again, I think, in September, so 
unlike a lot of people who are working in theatre, I will have some work again in September, um, touch wood, if all goes to plan. When lockdown happened, I was uh, in the middle of writing an EastEnders episode, and that um, was put on pause. Um, and I've been quite lucky because um, I've got a couple of TV commissions, so I've been working on that. And that has been actually one upside of lockdown is that I think a lot of commissioners have perhaps had slightly more time at home to read more things than they would have normally so uh, at least one of those uh, commissions that I've got I'm not entirely sure I would have got in a normal circumstances I mean I think a bit of it might be that the commissioner had more time on their hands and was reading more, which is great. That's a really positive thing. Um, so I've been working on those. Um, when lockdown happened, I uh, panicked because I lost uh, quite a bit of work and um, I set up a Patreon page. Um, so I have been asking people to pay me £3 a month to write poems, like I'm a sort of donkey sanctuary. Um, and people have. I mean, that was the most amazing thing is that people uh, have paid three pounds a month and I and there's a thing on Patreon where you can like click on uh who has deleted their pledges uh this month and you can like see how many people have lost interest in your work which is a terrifying feature on Patreon and every day I check it and um I've not lost as many as I expected to especially when I didn't really keep up my end of the bargain I said that I was going to write a poem a week and uh I don't always manage that um so I've been doing that um and then I run a poetry night in Leicester called Find the Right Words and I was really keen to keep that going so that's become a podcast um and that's kind of goes out through Patreon as well so that's what I've been doing I've done a couple of virtual gigs and virtual workshops as well how have you found them virtual gigs are funny aren't they you do them on like Instagram live or Facebook live and you have a little like counter for uh seven people are watching this gig and then if it goes down to six you're like what did I do what did I do wrong um but you kind of can't acknowledge that the audience number is going down you just have to like do your gig and like obviously no one's really responding to you Mm. nobody's clapping you so then there's that really awkward moment where you finish a poem and you're like great good hope you (laughs) like that one um yeah, and then yeah, and then I've been doing these virtual workshops. I did a weird virtual workshop a couple of weeks ago for Leicester University, which actually was was lovely. It was great, but um, so I would I would I was talking into this camera, and then people were like replying by text. And I know that that's like the normal thing, and I like sound like somebody's like tech phobic gran, but it is really weird to you know normally I do that workshop in a classroom of like thirty kids, and actually mm. people are just sort of responding to me by text. And um, yeah, I mean like everyone, I'm so fucking bored of Zoom. I'm really sick of Zoom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But equally, really relying on it as well to have any contact with the outside world. So it's a mixed bag, isn't it? Lockdown. <laughs> yeah. It's just funny, isn't it? Because I love going to the theatre. I love going to poetry nights. And also, I very much acknowledge that there were some terrible poetry nights. You know, I've been to poetry nights that are like four and a half hours long and it's like 50 open micers. They're all doing 10 minutes and all of them go over their time and all of them sound exactly the same. My God, I'd give anything to go to one of those. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd give anything to go and spend my night doing that for an evening. 
you know, I actually don't really want to watch a virtual gig with five people all speaking from their living rooms because it just reminds me that I'm not at an actual poetry gig. You know, and seeing some of my like absolute favorite poets performing from their living room just reminds me of the utterly depressing situation that we're in. Mm. And the other thing that I find quite difficult is theatre on television does not work for me. Mm. I'm so pleased that we're streaming theatre. I think that's wonderful. And like my mum and dad are having a whale of a time. And like every Saturday night, they're like, we watched this national theatre, we watched things from Curve, we watched things from the old Vic, and that's brilliant. They're having a great time. I've tried to watch theatre on television and it's just weird because it's meant for theatre. We're meant to, you know, I'm meant to watch it surrounded by like 500 other people with like a glass of overpriced crap warm wine and it's all happening like however many feet in front of me. And so like, you know, so I've tried to watch a few national theatre productions and it's all just so like, it's also massive and it almost mm. seems a bit sort of silly because it's just in my television screen and I'm sat on the sofa and actually it just reminds me how depressing the whole situation is. But my, you know, my God, I'm so pleased that it's there. And, I, mm. you know, and my parents have engaged with more theatre since we've been in lockdown than I think they have in their lives. So mm. that's wonderful. And we need to keep rumbling on, don't we? You know, artists, mm. we've got to carry on doing something during this void of a time. Otherwise, we're going to come out of this. You know, we'll be banging the drum saying, we need the theatres to be open and we need art to be funded. And then we'll come out the other side of it and all of us will be like, we've got nothing to say. So yeah. we need to keep making art so that when it all kicks off again, you know, we've got stuff ready to go. We ask our guests to come up with ideas for different audience experiences that they've had that they want to share with us um and I know you've got a few um so what you got to tell me so I went to see and I thought this was quite interesting and actually I wrote a poem about this for my uh for the show that we both worked on Jake Leonard um my Corbin show that I toured last year so I went to see a show which I won't name which was very strange I got free tickets to it and um Essentially, um, it was lots of kind of mismatched images and montages um, and people sort of, people were naked all the way through and at some point they were wearing like bike helmets and they were like just beating each other up. There was a lot of bodily fluids and then it all kind of culminated in this naked man being hung up from um, the 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 stage lights and uh, weeing everywhere, weeing on the rest of the cast. <clears throat> and I just remember... And it went on for ages. It was like three hours long and it was like weeing and violence and blood and spit and snot and strobe lights. And there was no story. It was just violent, graphic, gory. If you just have that for an hour, let alone like three hours, it's just numbing. It's just boring. And so, and there was no interval. And I remember looking around at people who just look bored. People were like asleep. They were like dead behind the eyes and then it ended and there were quite a few people on their phones as well like people were definitely not that engaged and then it ended and a few people got up and started giving it a standing ovation and then slowly the whole audience just stood up and people that I had seen asleep dead behind the eyes on their phones were stood up giving a standing ovation and at that point I was like but you're you're lying like you're standing up and you're giving a standing ovation because you think that you should. Like, 
because you don't want to be the odd one out. And then it was really odd because we came out and we heard people were like, oh, I just thought it was groundbreaking. It was, and I spoke to people about it afterwards and you know, I'd gone with a few people and people were saying, oh, I just thought it was one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen. And I was like, what did you like about it? We're like, oh, just, just groundbreaking. So they did a Q&A at the end and they kind of gave this whole talk about how the purpose of this piece of art that we have made is to um, empower the most vulnerable people in society to stand up against their oppressors. But it was like £25 for a ticket. So when you talk about the most vulnerable people in society, who are you hoping to engage with that? And also, I am firmly middle class. I like going to the theatre. I like subtitled films. I like the wankiest shit. And I thought this was just bullshit. So who are you hoping to engage? Because if you can't engage the Guardian reading subtitled cinema art wanker, then who is your audience? And otherwise you're just clapping each other on the back saying, aren't we so good? We've, well, aren't we so good? We've made this piece of abstract art and it's going to engage vulnerable people and they will rise up against their oppressors. And yeah, and then The Guardian was like, yes, we agree. And The Independent was like, yes, we agree. So that frustrated me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that makes me sad is thinking of all the different things that could be so easily lost. Yes, it will be obviously really sad if West End theatres close and we lose those really large-scale productions of like Hamilton or The Lion King. But I think about poetry nights where, I mean, I've seen it running Find the Right Words, you know, a lot of our audience members coming along and doing like five minutes on stage and having like 12 people listen to them one Wednesday evening a month is such a massive deal. Or you get someone who comes along at like 21 and, and has their first ever experience performing on stage and then like five years later they're like winning a poetry slam or in a play. I slag off the weird niche stuff when it's too up its own arse and thinks that it's going to change the world. But we so need the weird niche stuff as well, don't we? You know, some of my favourite experiences in, in theatre have been like when I, I mean, I'm saying my favourite, okay, what I was going to say is my favourite experience in theatre is when like just I've been the only person in the audience. Actually, that sounds like my absolute idea of hell. But it's like the mark of a good performer, isn't it? Is that when you're in like a, let's be generous and say like a 50-seat venue and there's only five people there and the performer can still make you feel like that's not a hellish situation. Do you know what I mean? And my God, like I've done those shows. Um, I'm looking at you, Guildford, when I turned up to this 200-seat theatre and there were seven people there and six of them, I was told, just buy tickets for everything. Um, and, you know, and it's at that point that you're like, well, if I can do this, do you know what I mean? I can do anything. Um, I mean, lol, what does that mean? <laughs> I, can do anything. I just mean, if you could do that, then you're doing all right. I think one of my first um, really positive experiences on stage was when, yeah, when I first started out. So it would have been 2012, maybe. And I got booked to do a short 10-minute set at Latitude. And I was put on right before Roger McGough, which I still to this day think must have been just a bit of an oversight. And it, yeah, it was like a 10-minute set and I started. And it was, I should say... It was like this 
it was such a massive tent it was huge I mean it was sort of I don't know I'm terrible at working out capacity but like a few hundred you know it's a sort of it's not the sort of tent that you would have a poet on in and then during my set it just got more and more and more full until it was just rammed and it was that you know I had come from performing 10 people in a pub and it was such an overwhelming experience I mean I was petrified I was absolutely petrified that I was just going to fall on my face in front of all of these hundreds of people and also Roger McGough was watching and I just loved him since I was a child and he was like watching the set I was performing in front of significantly more people than I'd ever performed in front of before and then it went well I mean yeah I mean well actually at the time I had no idea how it went I came off stage and people came to buy my book I had a book out at the time and people came to buy my book and Roger McGough said something nice to me and it was the first time that I was like oh God, you know, maybe I actually could do this. If we're talking about which theatres are going to get support and funding and and are going to get help to get through this, then there needs to be a real sort of across the board support. So it's not just like, it's not just the West End, but it's also not just like, um, you know, the the lovely little fringe theatre that does lovely little abstract Edinburgh fringe pieces. You know, it's also the place that's doing like amateur theatre and is putting on the amateur production of Sister Act. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Amdram and Groups because, I mean, that's where I first got into theatre. Um, so the last thing that we, we do on the podcast is ask the guests to come up with a charity or an organisation that they want to give a little shout out to? Um, so a charity that I do a lot of fundraising for is Leicester Rape Crisis. They do a lot of incredibly good work supporting uh, women and girls who've experienced sexual violence and yeah I feel like if we are headed for the worst recession in 300 years then it's going to be the charities that already have been hit by austerity and were already vulnerable that are going to take an even bigger hit. The work they do is so brilliant and so vital. There are cities that don't have great crisis services anymore and women and girls have to travel to much further so it's much more difficult to access um so we don't want to lose it so yes uh jasmine house leicester rape crisis is the charity i'd like to support thank you very much for being with us jess not at all i hope you have some optimistic hopeful um guests as well who can counterbalance it (laughs) oh no we got a bit of optimism in there (laughs) <laughs> you know, sometimes... We've got you, you're very optimistic. Oh, I'm trying to be. The world needs it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Missing an Audience, hosted by Jake Leonard. With music by Dave Morris, publicity design by Ben Hollands, and voiceover by Rebecca Klee. We'd love to hear your favourite audience experiences and how COVID-19 has affected you. So feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter at MissingAnord. If you want to donate or find out more about the charities our guest was talking about, you can find the links in the description below. In the meantime, keep safe, keep well, and be kind. Next time, we're joined by the London theatre critic for the International New York Times, Matt Wolfe.
It'll also be interesting to see whether, for some while at least, there's kind of critical leniency, not only because, and I count myself in this, I think we're all just going to be so glad to have theater back again that, you know, if it isn't the best production of Hamlet that we've ever seen, at least it's a production of Hamlet. The other thing is that the tourist market is a very, very important market, but there's a whole nother concern, which is the local audience returning to the theater is one thing, but if I'm in Manchester, am I going to want to come down on the train just to see a show? Am I going to want to risk that? I might not, not to mention outside of the UK. So that's a whole other thing. Is it safe in the theatre? Is it also safe getting to the theatre? So there are a lot of hurdles that have to be crossed. Oh.